Welcome back to Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. This episode was recorded live during United Pursuits reunion at Johnny Cash's old farm. This conversation features Brandy Miller, Brian Zond, Carlos Rodriguez, and William Matthews. They speak about what to do when your faith or faith community is in transition. This is Brandy Miller's first time on the podcast. She is a campus minister and op-ed columnist for the Huffington Post. She spends her time deconstructing white supremacy in evangelical spaces and exploring the role of practical theology in racial justice. Our returning guests are Brian Zahn, pastor of Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri, and author of Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God and Water to Wine. Carlos Rodriguez, founder of The Happy Givers and author of Drop the Stones. And of course, you have William Matthews, singer-songwriter, activist, and co-host of the Liturgist Podcast. We hope you enjoy. All right, everybody. So I'm trying to flip my Twitter camera, and it's not working. Oh, there we go. Hey, so I'm at Reunion 18 right now, and I'm so excited about this event in particular because it just gives me an excuse to hang out with truly my best friends in the world. Um, So we were having lunch, and I was just like, guys, what if we just jumped on and did a podcast? Uh, Thought I would throw this out to my Twitter friends as well. So I'm super excited. Um, three of these folks have been on the podcast already, but I'm so pumped as I'm flipping the camera again. Brandy, it's still on me. I'll figure this out. <laughs> Brandy, I'm so happy you're here. It's amazing to have you. And there's the great William Matthews, everybody. What great. Carlos Rodriguez. And Brian's on. The Brian's on. The so Brian's this, is a, this is quite the, the round table right here. This is um, quite the group of troublemakers. So like, okay. I'll just kind of jump right in. My thought was, <laughs> I'll figure out this camera business. <laughs> this is hilarious. Y- y'all know I have no life skills whatsoever. <laughs> um, so my it's thought adorable. was, just by way of jumping right in, Brandy, um, especially since you haven't been on the podcast before, let's just go right in with you. And I know this is probably going to feel like, you know, maybe diving into the deep end of the pool. But I want to start with this observation and then just just get your reflection. So like, one of the things that's really unique for me about doing Reunion, I spoke here last year, love United Pursuit, and uh, you know Will and Nathan, the guys, are terrific. But one of the things that's most interesting for me about this event is that it kind of has, in the style and the flair of the worship, it has all the markers of charismatic Pentecostal worship that I love, that I grew up in, but the theology is, getting wider and more inclusive and y'all can probably hear the sound check like in the in the background so it's just interesting because i feel like it's one of those kind of intersection spaces right now and i'm finding more of those where instead of people feeling like they have to completely abandon the faith tradition where they come from are trying to kind of like reclaim some things and i brandy i wanted to kick it over to you first because i just feel like i feel like you're such a uh i don't know how you'd feel about this but i kind of see you as like this sort of I put it like a reverse missionary. It's like you, 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 co- you come from a certain kind of culture theologically. You've really been intentional um, while while being such a clear prophetic voice mm-hmm. to not leave those folks behind and to do the really hard work in those spaces. So I would just love maybe to start by just getting your thoughts on what that feels like for you right now. What it, what it, what it looks like to try to, how you even figure out what to to bring with you and what needs to be left behind. Yeah. 
Uh, so I think that like I haven't, I can say over and over again, I haven't always been woke and I haven't always been saved or in whatever way. And so it's hard to leave people behind when you've been where they're at. Um, so for me, I think that especially growing up in such a hyper conservative, uh, really like escape hatch spirituality, I can see people and have some level of compassion. But I think that for me, uh, in a space like this, it's interesting because um, it's one of the more multi-generational spaces that I've seen. There's like parents and older folks and younger folks. Um, and most of the breakdown for me has come from not younger people misunderstanding what I'm saying or the work I'm doing, but from older folks choosing to shut down anything. Um, I think I see this actually most clearly. So anyone who does like nonprofit ministry work, um, I raise support for it. Um, and I can see that my that my support base is getting younger and younger the more progressive my theology becomes. Um, and I lose more and more money from older folks or institutions uh, as time goes on. And so being in a space like this confuses some of even my own experience of some of that. Um, but yeah, I guess you can't leave people behind who you were just like, like yeah. 10 years ago. Sure, sure. That's, but it's, it's interesting though, and I, I'm seeing this too, but just how much of the divide does right now does seem to be generational. Okay. Yeah. yeah, massive. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it feels racial and generational. And I think about like my family, like my family grew up poor in the depression era. I grew up like canning vegetables on my grandparents' farm. Um, and that life experience then like being an activist or like writing political commentaries doesn't, doesn't seem to merge. But I think for me making space for real life and for the work to happen together, um, maybe the only way that I understand advocacy and activism now, so I don't know how to invite people into that well, but I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever find, and I, I, I mean, I didn't think of this question before the second, but um, I, I, I know that you're well aware, and I guess all of us are on, on different levels, of some of the challenges of moving more into that kind of space and work and concerns in terms of evangelical peers and friends. But I'm curious, are there people more on the activism side for whom, like, your the faith component is weird for them or challenging <laughs> in some way. Yeah, I feel like I went to a small private liberal arts college. I was in a sorority, like, ideologically, my schooling and my faith have always been really separate. Um, and so, no, activist folks always see me as being too soft. Oh, interesting. Um, and I actually encountered this more with black folks this last year, um, where black women who are really radicalized or militant uh, think that my work, that I'm too kind to, particularly to white and Asian American folks. Um, so because my context is predominantly white and Asian American in a lot of ways, I'm finding a ton of dissonance with people who don't think I'm radical enough for bringing, because I'm bringing people along. Um, so there's like the culture of disruption and alienation and protest, and there's this other kind of protest that is bringing people along without pandering to individualism or to white supremacy or, or any of those things. And I think that's the place where I'm trying to learn, and that's more complicated than I expected. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm such a rookie, I'm not nearly as, as, as deep into in these conversations, but I'm learning a lot, because I mean, I do get it when people say like, hey, when you're, when you're called to be an activist and you're called to bring change in the, in the world, it's not necessarily your job to bring everybody yeah. along. Yeah. And yet I do think there's something about that, yeah. our kind of spiritual formation that says, hey, I don't know, it's yeah. just, that's a complicated crossroads. Yeah, I think it's bridge, like, it's bridge building. Which is tough because you're going to lose people on either sides of that yep. that don't yeah. want that either they don't want that bridge to be built or uh, they don't have the energy or time themselves to do it totally. so then they often think you shouldn't be doing it either mm. yeah. Um, yeah and I think if we can have grace with each other in terms of what our callings are and what our roles are in that like, like you said the the people who are called to be the loud disruptors maybe aren't called to be the bridge builders but that doesn't mean that they can't mm -hmm. their work doesn't interchange with each other and coexist. Yes. Um, yeah. But you're right, it definitely is a hard 
space because you're going to get critiqued on both sides, not just yeah. from mm -hmm. one. It's, right. it's easier to be in one camp or another it is. Mm -hmm. than yeah. to, you know. Yeah. I, I do love that, that idea, though, that it's possible that, like, that these things really can coexist and that these really are different parts of the body that are needed yeah. mm -hmm. and not as simple. Now, um, William, I, not to put you too much on the spot, but I specifically had this thought. I was so happy when I saw you last night, of course. We hugged. We almost immediately were in the worship service uh, context. And I was just, I specifically thought last night, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, because I just feel like right now, all these new lanes are opening up for you. Like, I so love what you're doing with the liturgist, and I feel like I've got some sense of the context of that crowd, and, um, you know, all the, and I feel like we're, a lot of us are in, are, I don't want to say reaching, that sounds awful, but, you know, connecting with kind of disillusioned, disenfranchised, evangelicals or children or evangelicals or whatever. I'm curious what it's like for you, though, as you're open, coming into those new lanes to come into a context like, like last night, where the the kind of the flair of the worship is very charismatic. Like, is that is that weird now? Is it comfortingly uh, familiar? Like, what does that feel like for you? It's for me. It's familiar because I know everyone. So, like, sure. I, you know, United Pursuit is such a funny name to me because I've probably met each of them individually in different seasons of my life. Almost practically everyone attached to United Pursuit, I met in various seasons of my life, and then they all started coalescing into this group of super friends basically so there's a lot of familiarity in individual like I mean I remember some of these kids when they were six, 14, 15, 16 in, in Charlotte and uh, and so coming to an event like this seeing Jason Upton I'm, I remember going to see Jason you know 10 years ago uh, around North Carolina and uh, same with John Mark and so I've, it, it feels more familiar to me uh, and I enjoy it because I mean I think everyone's super talented and sure. the music um, it's funny because somebody came up to me last night and said, uh, oh, I was totally vibing. I love watching you worship. And in my brain, I was like, I don't remember worshiping. <laughs> but I think I probably did do it so subconsciously where I just was like maybe swaying or singing and, you know, just like was in the moment. And it's just, it, it's, I don't know. I did worship music for a year. I still do, technically do worship music. But I definitely did it pretty hardcore for almost a decade plus. Uh, and so I think it's just in my bones. I can't really get it out of me. Uh, so I love gatherings like this because it feels feels really safe like even last night will reagan when he was leading worship he was singing his song have your way like mm -hmm. come you know come and have your way and then he kind of stopped and said you know what 10 years ago this this phrase meant this to me but now mm -hmm. it's awesome it has completely reframed for me and i actually appreciated that he did that because i actually thought oh i, I kind of hate that phrase now it's so weird to sing yeah. and it, you know kind of has this weird sexual overtone yeah. to it uh, right and, uh, <laughs> and then to have him actually stop in that moment he just ruined like, it for me <laughs> Jesus, have your way with me. Uh, <laughs> inappropriate. Especially the culture like a Marvin Gaye song. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, especially when we talk about uh, you know addressing like cultures of, of rape culture yeah, and, yeah. and yeah. cultures mm -hmm. around sexual assault. Like yeah. Yeah. stuff like that kind of language isn't always helpful for lots of people, or it's actually sure. can be triggering for yeah. some yeah. people. Totally. Um, and so yeah, so to have somebody then reframe it Address as a type of openness it. and surrender and bringing it back to that mindset then I could easily sing it again without feeling you know which yeah and I think also too there's a there's a tension between where we've been and where we're going yeah and I think with the language of worship music there's uh, this I think it, there's an evolution that is taking place but is desperately needing to take place as well yeah and what phrases we use and how we worship and what what are now words for us today versus because yes. a lot of the language we use is borrowed from 10 15 years ago yes. from a prophetic movement yeah. that's no longer 
yeah. really doing much. And mm, so yes. uh, the, that's a real question that you know I think deserves an answer. And there, there is such a tension because I think we're, we're speaking simultaneously about how wonderful it can be when things are recontextualized. I'm having an interesting experience right now because since I've moved to Nashville, I've become friends with, I don't know if any of y'all would know these folks, but uh, Reba Rambo McGuire and Donnie McGuire, like Reba, she was Reba's, uh, Dottie Rambo's daughter, famous Southern Gospel singer. Mm -hmm. But I get, a, I go come over to their house on Tuesday nights and uh, we just, it's just so cool because we're singing all these Southern Gospel songs like I grew up in kind of camp meeting culture, mm -hmm. but they're such an, kind of an, just an inclusive, welcoming, open-minded group and it's like, it, it means something else to me now in a good way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a reclaiming that's happening yep. that feels really constructive and really positive. But then I think, you know, there are those things that need to be re-examined where like, yeah. maybe maybe everything doesn't need to be kind of drug along brought too. Brought forward, yeah. 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 And that's a, I, I don't know who gets to make that decision, right? It's yeah. a collective decision, I would Sure. Yeah. Uh, but also what it means for this, what it means to this generation, like what does worship music mean to this current generation? Are they create are they creating their own uh, spaces and energy and using language that moves them, or is there just this simple like regurgitation of the things from yes. the last movements? And and I don't I don't exactly know where we're at in that. Uh, and so what 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 would you conjecture? What worship music now? I think it's stuck. Hmm. I, I think there's a lot of fresh zeal and energy around creating it because now it's it's easier now to create worship music than it's ever been. Yeah. Uh, in terms of produce it, a lot of churches are producing worship albums. Uh, I feel like, you know, ten years ago there really was only a few handful of people doing it. It was Hillsong, you know, and then you know Jesus Culture came along, Bethel, and then IHOP had a moment, and mm -hmm. there really wasn't a lot of major worship thrust. And then you had individuals, right? Like Jason yeah. was always doing stuff, but that was also attached to that revival culture. And now. I feel like just from Instagram alone, there's a lot of people out there. A lot of churches are creating music. It's it's all out there. But I do feel like a number of it, even in the black church, there seems to be a bit of a worship awakening where they're doing stuff now that, truthfully, like the white church was doing 10 years ago. I feel like there's this kind of emphasis on revival and signs and wonders that was really popular 10 years ago in the white church that I feel like the black church is really kind of writing songs around and taking ownership of. But that's still in a way very behind sure. uh, so then I don't exactly know where it's moving or where it's going but I do think there are a lot of people curating the space now where that wasn't yeah. happening before yeah. and that is probably a good thing because then somebody is going to get that spark and come mm -hmm. up with new language or take old language and reformat it or something and yeah we'll see. Carlos for you what is the what is the new sound? What's the new sound that's... Well when I when I Study like revival history. Wait, sorry. I, what is the new sound? That is such a. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe that was the, the question ten years ago. Yeah. We want the new sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just. <laughs> well, we were talking about kind of like charismatic Pentecostal spaces, and when I was growing up, and I'm, I mean, completely new paradigm for me. And I'm reading these books on revival, and I'm reading about William Branham, and I'm reading about these revivalists in um, Azusa Street. A black guy who could barely see is leading this massive thing. And it was almost like Pentecostals, Charismatics were like the inclusive ones. Yeah. Sure. Like this is where women can this preach. Is true. Right, right. If the spirit is moving, everybody can be involved. Mm -hmm. And everybody, you know, there was a sense of the acts too, like the language comes and everybody understands yeah. what they're saying. And it's so crazy how we've moved away from that. Yes. Because to me, 
especially seen in Latin America, you get a little bit of the liberation theology from the Catholics, and then you put it in the kind of like Pentecostal context, and yeah. it goes together so well. Yeah. To me, it's naturally that it goes together. When it doesn't go together, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. You're getting the spirit upon you for what? So you can be in the green room more? So right, can, right. Like, it's meant to, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. I mean, there's some basic clarity and look for about why the spirit is coming yeah right yeah, that's right you know, to liberate the oppressed and etc etc so in these contexts it just makes sense when we're doing the worship the new sound or the old sound to me it's more sure. like the old sound sure to me it's more like the words of jesus traditions of the church from the book of acts onwards mm -hmm. the spirit moving so that we can liberate the oppressed so that those who are blind can see so that those who are in prison can come out so it's just you know it, to me, is more like the old sound yes. than the new sound. Yes, it's it's, it's a renewal. Yeah, absolutely. And I especially and, and and reclaiming my Pentecostal roots in that way, in terms of really being a radical peace tradition mm -hmm. and justice and um, like like all like all that's been so significant for mm -hmm. me. Brian, I feel like part of what and I know you know even I had you on the podcast before and well, just in June being at the Water to Wine gathering and your book Water to Wine, like you've. You've gone on this journey personally, and one of the things that's one of the things interesting for me now, because like everybody in my life listens to your sermons. One, because I, I push you on people, but like, um, <laughs> but it's but I also feel like people just you know from all over the place are that I wouldn't necessarily expect it to be. Mm. I hate. I don't mean that as insider language, but be receptive to our kind of message, yeah. sure. our, our tuning in and listening, even if that's not quite what they're doing yet. Sure. And I'm just curious, especially because right now I feel like you know there's so many discouraging things happening in the world and in broader culture, but I feel like you, like me, and I think all of us to a point, we're also in, in a position where we're able to be in these pockets, different places, where we're seeing like really encouraging things too, and really, and, and hopeful things. So I, I just I, I you could speak to that I, in some I used way. the word hopeful talking with Carlos when we met, just yeah, when came over here this morning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know people, people listen to my podcast, which we call it a podcast, it's a sermon, you know, this is my sermon that put it out there. But I kind of know people that listen to my stuff listen to, I can name the names, and we're, sure. we're all friends, we kind of know each other. I think where I'm different is I'm a pastor. Yeah. I'm still a pastor of the same dang church that I've been a pastor of for 37 years. Yes. And that's a little bit unique. It is. Just to, just to persevere with it. It comes with some benefits. You know, you stay with something for 37 years, you have kind of a credibility, you mm -hmm. have a, mm -hmm. you know, the founding pastor of a church for 37 years, I can pretty much do what I want to do. Sure. I could wreck the thing, but nobody's going to fire me, you know, so, <laughs> so, so I like that, but yeah. it also, to stick with one church that long is a lot of pain, too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because in one sense, are we the same church? Well, Technically, I mean, Perry and I still pastor it. We have people that have been with us 37 years, mm -hmm. but it's been through so many iterations. Mm -hmm. But isn't that life? I mean, sure. I came across a picture. Um, Perry was going through some pictures the other day, and I, I came across a picture. This was just like two days ago that I hadn't seen. I don't know when I'd seen it. I'd seen it, you know. I'd, it was from the first day that I was in ministry. I had... Well, I'd been in ministry almost from the moment that I met Jesus. But as far as, like, I had a job. I worked at this hospital. And and 
But then I took the leap and I was in full-time ministry. And with no money and it was you know, all those stories. And Perry had taken a picture of me because I, I needed a picture to get a like, a like a permit to be able to visit in the jails as okay. a clergyman. Mm-hmm. And it was the day after I had been ordained. I was 22 years old. Now I'm 59, so it's 37 years ago. I, I saw that picture and I looked at it. And I just, I wanted to say, I wanted to talk to that young man. I wanted to say, oh my, you're going to go a long way, <laughs> but you're going to suffer a lot to get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I probably wouldn't have told him that because it would have scared him too much and he was already afraid. <laughs> sure, sure. So I would have said, you know what I said? I would have said to him, if I could, I would have said, um, you're going to go a long way, you're going to be very surprised, don't be afraid. I don't even remember what we're supposed to be talking about here. but No, this is good. But um, the idea of just staying. I look around at a, at a lot of my peers. By peers, I mean people that I began ministry with, 37, 35, 40, if you want to count, you know, just as a teen, that I, that I know to this day. And, and I'm, I'm not, I want to hear the message that we heard last night, but I want to be careful. But, but still, I can't help but I see their Facebook or I kind of know where they're at. These are pastors. Or, and I, they're, they're, they're stuck. They haven't, they, haven't, they haven't thought something new. They haven't said anything new yeah, in yeah. 30 years. Yeah. I thought, I, I thought how, how do you get that stuck? How do, how do you survive that? How do you? And so. Hey, quick time out. Sorry, Y'all. Krista Black and Lucas, I love you guys. I'm so glad y'all are here. These are my dear friends. Krista's also speaking to some. You can crush this party anytime. Like, we're just kind of informal, impromptu podcast, Twitter live thing is happening right now. So, do y'all want to like dispense some like prophetic wisdom? Like, do you have like, do you have a word in the moment that you want to get? Because y'all are kind of in the flow. Y'all live in the flow. We do live in the flow, but I do have to pee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, even that. Very in flow. That's yeah. very in flow. <laughs> such, a, such a bodily, organic, earthy ministry that Krista has. I love that. That's right. You are talking. Yeah, she's talking about sex and spirituality this afternoon. That's amazing. That's great. I'm sorry, Brian. Let's jump right back in. If you remember what you were saying. There's no jumping right funny. back in. Uh, where do you go from there? Well, I know. I just think... You know, I'm just back from walking another Camino. Yeah. This is this 1,200-year-old pilgrim path. Depending on, you know, where you start, what route you take, there can be 500 miles. This one was 160 miles. Um, but there, there are a few metaphors of the spiritual life more deeply profound than that of pilgrimage. Yeah. Which is why I find myself drawn to do that. Uh, it's not so much the outward walking, although I, I find that rewarding, enjoyable, difficult, but but good for my soul. But it's a powerful metaphor of the of the far more infinitely more important pilgrimage of the heart, the journey of the heart, where we have to move. I mean, we start where we are. We start in a little world. We start with our with a everything's compressed. Everything's small. Small ideas about God and self and life and being. Uh, that's where you have to start. But don't stay there. Mm-hmm. Journey. Go on a pilgrimage mm-hmm. uh, where, where things expand and they get larger. And you, we, we start in this world that is so, so much dominated by fear, anxiety, comparison, insecurity, envy, sometimes hatred and anger and rage. Mm-hmm. But we can, we can on, with a pilgrimage of the heart, we can go beyond that and 
really begin to arrive in large, spacious places. Faith and hope and all of that have their part, but eventually I think everything becomes eclipsed Mm -hmm. by love, by the love of God. Uh, But you have to be willing to go on a journey. And and I do wonder, I, I do look around at my peers, well, I mean, when I came into ministry, I was I was like one of the youngest ones in my group. Most of them were like somewhere in the range of 10 years older than me. So, so I'm looking at guys that are now 69, 70, that these are really the people that I grew up in ministry with. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sad for them. I mean, it, it sounds like I'm making a judgment. I guess I am. Uh, but there, there is a kind of forlorn sadness that and 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 on the other hand i i want to say they haven't changed on the other hand i if i if i connect with the jesus movement of the 70s i said come on man this is not where we start we didn't start that we might be a part of maintaining white privilege in our Mm -hmm. 70s Mm -hmm. that, that isn't where we started with I mean, there was something radical and edgy about the Jesus movement. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe they have changed. Maybe, maybe my diagnosis isn't that they haven't changed. That somehow they, the lure of power is very, mm-hmm. yeah. so very real. seductive, yes. isn't so it? Real. Mm-hmm. It really is. I have to ask. I, I don't feel like this is changing gears, because this was something I just love in our conversation at lunch, especially just talking about this whole concept of journey and pilgrimage and kind of where we, you know, where we come from, where we're going. I love just the table, because of course Carlos has this wonderful ministry in Puerto Rico where he lives now, and you just had a team from Brian's church come in. That's right. I would love you to share what you're sharing at the table, because in terms of thinking about people on a, on a journey and making space for people to be on a journey, yeah. that's one of the most encouraging things I've heard in yeah. a minute. No, having people from Brian's church who are not excited like Brian, who get to be themselves, and get to walk the journey and are comfortable being pastored by somebody that politically they would disagree with in a lot of ways um, that they probably wouldn't be like they would never go to El Camino they couldn't care less about no. walking the 500 miles or even the 160 <laughs> um, and not like surprised that they would be you know as conservative or maybe as you know but they're in Puerto Rico and they're with me serving because they've heard enough about even though you believe this, there is a greater story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a story of Jesus, mm-hmm. of inclusion, of love, of welcoming, of service. And, and I mean, being aware that they're in that, you know, taking those baby steps. Yeah. So part of the team, they were asking me about, what do, what do you guys think about guns in Puerto Rico? Because I like my guns. I was like, are you from Brian's church? What's going on here? What is, one I'm texting Brian. Guns what are you Trump? doing? Yeah. Amazing, you just have like the Crucify God series playing in the background. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, they're they're as a reminder. Well, I mean, and the thing is, it's no, they know exactly what they, Brian yeah. and Perry I, think I, about I, it. I, I have no doubts about that. I know they do. And so I think there is something kind of beautiful I, oh, yes. where you have yes, the yes, fact yes, that yes. That, so that people that really would be on a profoundly different yes. page than me politically say yeah but I think he's I think it's good that he's my pastor mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. look I, I don't want to say too I don't want to be careful here but but I have had the experience in my church of serving communion to ICE officers mm. Mm-hmm. Immediately followed by undocumented immigrants. Mm-hmm. 
defense, mm. literally wow. back to back, mm. coming through the line. Yeah. And uh, again, I want to be careful. I don't want to know how much I can say on this. Um, I don't want to say much, but um, this isn't all secret infantry. So there, there people sure. kind of know about this, and um, there is something unique about the space at Word of Life where there is a lot more grace than there is anywhere else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, what was so specifically like did the gentleman say? I love that so much, and I like it. That, I, yeah, yeah. He was talking about the fact that. Um, you know, he's conservative and he voted for Trump and look at all the good things that the president's doing and all the accomplishments and like black unemployment or whatever. And then he immediately pivots to, but you know, I don't, I, if there's a homosexual that wants to come into my business, I'll serve them. I'll bake the cake for them. You know, because my pastor taught me that we get to welcome everybody and love everybody as they are. I mean, it was just like this immediate like recognition, even in what he's standing for, that there's space for him to even move more into yes. inclusion, into welcoming. I love that. So he's on the journey. Older yeah, gentleman's that. still on the journey, and that was beautiful, beautiful that he's not stuck, but he's willing. And, and again, he's in Puerto Rico serving the people of Puerto right. Rico, so yeah. staying in my own house. The, and the point is, There's hope. Uh, it isn't that I pastor a whole church like that. Sure, sure, sure. I pastor a church that has those people. Of course. And then also very politically far left, uh, yeah, you know Bernie Sanders supporters. Yeah, and this in the same church, and, and that's 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 pretty rare. Mm. Yeah. And it's what scares me about the the present time in America. I know it's very complicated, mm-hmm. but I, I I fear for the future as we as we just become so polarized, yeah. fueled by deep deep animosity. Yes. Um, I think for me, like as a pastoral person, the biggest danger for me has been assuming that people are static and cannot change. Yes. Yeah. When I'm finding that, because I think I have some of the same disappointment even being young in ministry with people that I started with eight or nine years ago yeah. going like, oh, you shifted like this and my trajectory went this way and yours went this way and now we started in the same spot where we're in different places. Yeah. And so I think there's the assumption that people who are far from whatever need to change and that we don't or whatever but it just it, yeah I think there's something about trajectory and the assumption that people are static that is incredibly alienating mm-hmm. and so it, what I'm hearing in those stories is some assumption that people can change want to be transformed yeah. and that can happen mm-hmm. um, and that ultimately is being discipled yeah, is making disciples yes. and who's discipling them well they got Fox News discipling them right. but they right. also have a pastor discipling them yeah. and they have friends discipling they have husbands and wives that think differently get to disciple and, and Jesus I mean even the choosing of the disciples he's intentional about having Simon the Zealot who's against Rome and having Matthew Tax Collector who's an employee right. of Rome and having kind of a mixed yeah. bag the beautiful thing is he has them there, not so that we're like, oh, it's okay, we just welcome everybody. No, we welcome everybody so they get to be transformed to the image of Christ, yes, right? Yes, yes. So get to be in these spaces together, as different as we are, so that we can all together journey to more like I Jesus. Love that. I, I think, love that. And that's not to say that none of these issues matter. Sure, right. sure, sure. They do matter. Deeply matter. But if we really have any hope, Mm-hmm. of any kind of healing, of, of building a better society, there has to be the creation of a culture of kindness and respect. So that, right? Yeah. I mean, if it's all just 
raging anger, mm. then people are going to go into their bunkers and nobody's going to move in any direction. But but as I say that, I want to be very careful. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying, oh, can't we just all, you know, no, mm-hmm. I don't know. love yeah, one yeah. another and get along mm-hmm. and just leave everything status quo. Come I don't think that at all. To be transformed. In fact, I think, I think right. I'm very clear about the that's fact right. that, no, I think there needs to be massive transformation For in our sure. society. For sure. Uh, but as we're coming to the table in the right spirit is an act of repentance because mm-hmm. it's a way of lowering yourself it, and it's just it's really more about being reconciled with people around us in this way and that, that is the power of the Christian table at yeah. its best right. is that you know there's a kind of disarming that happens Brandy I want to ask you in particular like especially you, you mentioned earlier like when people sort of more on kind of the activist side might say like well what do we think you're soft I'm sure you've had experiences of frustration from some of the communities you've come from in terms of like just feeling impatient, why, you know, why am I even doing this? But I would love you to share even a story, anything that comes to mind, of one of those moments where it's like, where you were really glad that you stuck it out, really stayed in some of those relationships, where you really saw just like the fruit of, of, of keeping those kind of channels open, even where there was a lot of discouragement and frustration. Yeah, so it's not an individual story, but it's a group of people. So I'm a campus minister in Oregon, and when I first got the chapter that I currently have, it was like 40 people, mostly white, incredibly conservative, um, and I moved to that city two weeks before Michael Brown Jr. was killed. Uh, and so as a black woman leading a predominantly white chapter, I hosted a vigil uh, for right after the non-indictment of Darren Wilson. And I hosted the thing, it was four black students, we have a black community on camp, like a, a Christian black community now because of that gathering. Uh, but I had a group of three white students come to me afterward, like torch and pitchfork style, and said, kind of in the language of numbers, like in Cora's rebellion, like you've gone too far. Mm. You, you've taken this too far. Mm. Uh, you, you didn't pray for cops at your vigil, mm-hmm. and so white students are going to leave. Wow. And I looked at them in what had to have been the spirit of the Lord, and just said, then let them go. Mm-hmm. There are 20 Christian groups on campus, all that serve white students. Yeah. We're not going to be. That's not gonna be our center. Sure. And I said, but if you want to learn why I do what I do, because I don't just do it because I'm like succumb to a liberal agenda, mm. I'll host a thing yeah. and invite you to come understand why I believe Jesus cares about this and do something about it. Beautiful. And two of the three came and now are these like four five, oh my god, four years later are these anti-racist folks doing good decolonizing work awesome. in their churches. Wow. Um, and it was and it was a moment where there was jarring mm-hmm. alienation on both ends, mm-hmm. but an invitation made the difference, yeah, an invitation yeah. to come along with me. Um, and so, yeah, like, my the joy in my life now is not like, the system was broken, which obviously I want, but it's like, so-and-so believes in racism now, and that yeah. matters. It does. Because um, it matters for their friends and for their communities. And so I tell that story because that story has happened over and over and over again. Mm-hmm in my almost seven years kind of doing this particular type of work. Um, so I can't not have hope in it because it's a big deal when that happens. Beautiful. I think there's a, a deep, and that's why I love Brian, what you do so much and what you represent in terms of fidelity and faithfulness to a community. Mm-hmm. Because I think there is a deep pastoral crisis. That's, yes. I, I think, who's gonna, first of all, who's gonna pastor Red America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody, just, you know, they deserve pastors who are gonna tend to their hearts and lead them yeah. and love them and be faithful to them even if they do go astray in the area you know like yeah. that that type of faithfulness needs awesome. to be demonstrated um, who is going to make the invitations like Brandy is talking about to say you know come along or here let me let me be a bridge builder or you know stand between the porch and the altar let me like mediate here 
you know, as well as the people that create the decentered spaces yeah. for marginalized folks that don't center yeah. those people who are always the center. Like it's all, yeah. it all belongs. Yeah. And yeah. but I do think there is this pastoral crisis that I, I don't think we have genuine true pastors. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't know if it's because of the consumerism thing inside of the Christianity. Mm. It feels most pastoral work looks good for the Instagram or TV or whatever, yeah. but it doesn't actually stand in the hard places with people. And I, I, would, I would say in my travels, that's what I feel like has yeah. been lacking increasingly, increasingly is the pulpit has become partisan mm. yeah. and who's yeah. actually doing the, the real reconciliation work, um, which isn't sexy and it doesn't look <laughs> doesn't look good on Instagram. That's why pastors right need to pay attention to Eugene Peterson. Yeah. You know, Eugene Peterson's done pastoring, he's near the end of his life, but but I, you know, I should have a little, little wristband, WWEPD. What, what would Eugene Peterson do? Because I think that all the time, I mean, that, I asked I ask myself that all the time, okay, how, how would Eugene handle this? And, uh, of course, he, he would be the anti-Instagram. I can only imagine what, what Eugene Peterson would think of Instagram. Uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, I'm so glad that I have that 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 voice still ongoing in my life, Eugene Peterson. Yes, yes, that's so good. And I don't know, it does feel like, and I, I don't think any of us are aspiring to this. I know when you wrap it up here in just a minute. But one of the things I'm thinking, even as you're talking about Peterson and William, you're talking about the need for that kind of pastor work that people find are lacking. I think that's part of the promise and peril of the kinds of things a lot of us are are doing beyond our local communities in terms of just because I feel like for better or for worse people are they're looking for pastoral figures and I think you know whether we choose this or not in kind of a de facto basis you know the liturgists are are pastoring people and like, you know, but really like you know there We're is a trouble kind of, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying like somebody so people have to feel like there's somebody who's coming alongside their journey yes. and I think like because I feel like uh, one thing to be common like with all of us none of us are trying to build some kind of an empire like we're going to have our own parachurch blah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. or start a new denomination or something so it's not like something think. intentional we're trying to do in that way but inevitably like when people's hearts are open and need to feel like that they're spiritual guides <laughs> somebody has to stand into that place and when people feel seen and known in a way you know mm -hmm. yeah that's that's super true and it's interesting with with the liturgist work it's probably actually the the, my favorite work that I've ever done mm -hmm. because of the it's like I'm meeting people who have been so broken and so traumatized yet are still opening their hearts to something more what a whatever that is that's a gift and that it's a deep humility it's a deep like there's a deep suffering there it's mm -hmm. not you know the stories and I hear the stories that people send me letters or DMs on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and the stories, I, I just count it a privilege and honor to even hear some of these stories, that they would feel safe enough to share some of the deepest treasures of their hearts and also painful experiences that led them away from church or led them sure. out of, you know. And, um, yeah, it's hard because I'm the type, I'm like, I want to fix it all, and I can't right. fix it all. Yeah. And a heartbreak has happened, so the, I think the most I can do is to offer a kind heart and a listening mm. ear and to create a yeah. safe space for people to feel loved in a moment, yes. whether in a gathering or through a podcast. Uh, and hope and pray. That's why I said we're in trouble. Because <laughs> I go, 
if, if we're the ones that are leading, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh Jesus, we are not the authority, and that's what we constantly tell tell the, the listeners. Sure, we're not the authority. We're not the authority. You're the authority. Well, and I, you, I, I do appreciate just the spirit in which you guys do that. But I want to say, knowing that you know, a couple of us have to go and teach workshops. I'm just so thankful because, and not just in this because y'all are here. Each of you are people who very deeply and personally, like you, so encourage me just in the work. You, you guys bring me hope. And I, I and this is gonna, I'm gonna say the, this in the most cliche Pentecostal way imaginable. <laughs> but just like for some of the folks who are watching, because I feel like I'm having these kind of conversations everywhere I go. You know, if, if this doesn't sound too corny, part of my experience already being reunited, I'm just reminded that the Holy Spirit really is working. There is really a counter-movement that's that's rising yes. up that is the gospel. It, 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 it is truly the full gospel <laughs> so far that it sets the oppressed free. It's good news to the poor, you know? It liberates the captives. And that, that gospel work really is going forth. And those kinds of gospel communities and kingdom communities really are popping up everywhere. So just keep in mind, especially in a time where, understandably, because these are things we're supposed to be concerned about, the news of the empire is what's dominant, that there is another story. There, there's a story happening beneath the story. There's a narrative happening beneath uh, the, the history of the kings and rulers. There's a prophetic thing that's happening on the margins, and that's really where the story of God and God's people is always being advanced. And, and really, that's, that's actually where the action is. That's where the important things are happening. So thanks so much for hanging. Thank you, all my friends. Y'all want to say goodbye to the folks on, on Twitter? Yeah. Love you. Yeah. Thanks, We're both thanks for hanging with yeah. us. And we'll, we'll do this again soon. Love you guys. Thank you for listening today. For more, go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram. To support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman and help us keep this podcast going. Remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we pray this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. Have a good day.